for The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly. Here's my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And tonight we're here to discuss the seventh episode of NBC's This Is Us. This episode was called Sometimes. So that came up when we had Jack writing with Bao, that was his name, and he asks him if he's a good guy, and he says sometimes. What do you make of this exactly? Do you feel like this is like an overarching theme of this episode? There are three stories in this episode, so why would it apply just to the one? I mean, very clearly, there's like a meat and potatoes answer where Bao is not Viet Cong every day, but he does chip in every once in a while. Like he's not, he doesn't sell out Jack like he could. Right. But meanwhile, we get the idea that he's giving material to the bad guys. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. Was it sort of the idea that like none of them are really soldiers or anything like this is all a part time kind of weird thing, right? That they're like dabbling in in a way that's like they didn't really mean to be involved, but they kind of are. Like they're sometimes a good guy, sometimes not. Depends on who you are, point of view kind of things. Let's let's pick this apart. In all three storylines, we're looking at a road trip slash journey. Mm-hmm. And in all three cases, you have someone that is kind of wide open with their feelings. And the other person is very guarded and doesn't really want to spill the beans. In one case, Rebecca's Rebecca. So she's wide open and Jack is Jack and he is not spilling any beans. Kevin is Rebecca, basically, which he would never have even known about (laughs) himself with Zoe playing the the tight-lipped one. And then finally, we have Jack, the soldier, and Bao, who's not spilling any any beans. So what do Bao, Zoe, Zoe, and later on Jack have in common? They all have secrets. They all have complicated situations. It's not all black and white. They want to be open and they want to be available to the person they're dealing with. But at the same time, they have stuff that they have to keep to themselves. So that's like they're sometimes available, but sometimes I think that's it. I mean, it's so much. It's, it's not so much. Are you a good guy or are you a VC? It's it's just like you said, sometimes available, sometimes uh, not like or yeah, like how Kevin is good enough with he's how he says, I'm falling in love, love with you and you don't have to tell me your secrets. So that's like sometimes We know everything about each other, but I guess sometimes we don't. Yeah. Very tricky. Let's talk about the cold open a little bit because we get this little bit of a background on the necklace that, if you guys remember, Jack had given to Kevin when he broke his leg for football. And it was the necklace that he brought back from Vietnam. It was an interesting sort of reveal with this necklace because we show a little journey with it, how it was like made. And then, you know, it was bought by a soldier to give to his girl. He sees his girl with another guy. He drops it off in the bar. A Vietnamese guy got, gets it, puts it in his pocket. He's later wearing it, killed. A woman picks it up off of the, his dead body, puts it on. And then that sort of like starts us like, how does this necklace even get in front of Jack? And then the the, the Kevin storyline shows that somehow in the intervening years, this necklace has gone on to become a very popular souvenir. But they show us the construction of this. And this is like a one-off. Like this person sat down to make this one necklace and then they got back up and did whatever they were going to do. I agree with you. Like it was very much designed. Like they like kind of drew, drew it out. You know, like this wasn't something that was this mass produced souvenir. At least I didn't get that 
feeling. It felt like this one was a specific special thing. Yeah. As opposed to this like mass produced, you know, everybody could get one on any corner. It felt more special. So do you think it's a little bit of a red herring that it is mass produced at this point? Like, is it like, no, there is still something special about that original necklace, even though it is similar? Yeah, I do. I feel like it's a way to get Kevin a little off the scent with that, with that, with the necklace just to make it a little more complicated because if that was mass produced, he would have had, or the, the, there's a woman that made it, right? Uh-huh. She would have had a lot of different things all set up in rows and stuff, but this was, she just had the parts to make the one, you know, and just made the one and that was it. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and not only that, but I feel like, doesn't it seem like the type of thing in this day and age that you might take a picture of and like Google image search? And see if you couldn't find something and that or even if you tried to describe it in Google or Amazon or some way that it would have actually come up if it was like mass produced and on every corner because, you know, people are so open about their travels and things like that. It seems like someone would have had a tweet about a necklace they got in Vietnam or mm. blah, 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 like some other picture would have come up if it was like everybody has these things. These are just so common, like a I heart and why you know, going to New York City t-shirt. It's almost so mundane that you wouldn't, you might not even bother though. You might, I mean, just Google Vietnamese necklace. I mean, you you might just think, I'd pull up 6 million different things. Why Why would I bother leafing through that? Totally agree. I would, I, you know, Kevin is an interesting guy in this exact little adventure because on, he has like a lot of passion for understanding where this necklace came from and figuring out more about his dad. And by the same token, there's a lot of those questions that seem to come up, no matter if they came up from the fellow soldier who asked like, well, did you ever talk to your dad or whatever, of sort of asking like, Kevin, are you asking the right questions at the right time? Or are you just like putting your head down and running forward? A little bit that comes up with Zoe too, but it's like that idea of like why he didn't do any internet research on Vietnamese jewelry or anything like that. Very simple things like that that are like, it's just kind of Kevin, I think. He's got like sort of that passionate, adventurous kind of side to him and maybe like a little less of like that. Like definitely I feel like Randall would have researched the hell out of it. Right. And he would have known that it was sold in every marketplace and he would have known, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's some part of it that I guess we're just supposed to go on that this is the a Kevin flavored journey. So you have to kind of like abandon the side that would have been like, I think you would have looked it up a little bit, learned a little bit more of the culture, learned a little bit more of the tourism, and maybe this would have popped up. Kevin reminds me a little of uh, another one of my favorite TV characters, Tim Riggins. He says, Uh I'm kind of a moment to moment guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, he is. And you know what? You're right. He is a little bit like that. And not unlike Riggins, he's very much like driven by his heart and just sort of that you know, his feelings, which is kind of funny to think about those men, because in a lot of ways you would think they're more closed off than that. Yeah, but no, I mean, they really are like, you know, I want that now. And they like go do that. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know what that makes them, but I, I think it, I think it's what makes them sexy to a lot of women because they are the type of guys who they see something they want and they go for it. And, you know, that's a very exciting kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about Zoe and Kevin's adventures. Zoe really has a lot of moments throughout this entire episode where there's sort of a lead in to where she could say something about sort of what's going on with her. And she chooses to hold back. And you can tell we're building to something. That bat meal, gross. I don't know. How would you do in other countries? Because I feel like I would do terrible. I would do like shit. <laughs> I mean, I don't even eat other 
cultures, foods in America all that often. You know what I mean? <laughs> like people say, people be like, everyone in the office is going for Thai. And I'll be like, I'll see you in an hour. Oh, no. <laughs> Just like not interested. That's, I mean, I do like. You what? like a lot of you like a lot of things. I mean, you're not totally closed uh, off. Like that's that. tr- that's true. I'm just not very adventurous. Yeah, I definitely would never eat bat like that. I have just way too many gross ideas about like rabies and vampires and bleh. and like I'm sorry, I'm not hard up enough for meat enough to go for bat. <laughs> like I'm just not. I like, <laughs> I, I would I would bat's definitely got a bad reputation. Really. I just am not interested. I would definitely stick to veggies and like vegetarian meals. I think the other thing that's hugely different between American food and any foreign food is the spices and everything. And just my family has like the most bland palate. Like I come from a family where, you know, salt and sugar are the spices of the day. And that is like it. Like, you know, when people are like, oh, don't you use oregano? I'm like, what now? (laughs) Or whatever, you know, I'm like, no, I really don't know anything about spices. It's it's like that bit on Saturday Night Live this week where he's like, pierogi for breakfast, pierogi for lunch. (laughs) I love brogies. <laughs> oh. Yes. So, but when you think about how bland they kind of are, right? Oh, they're, they're the picture of blandness. But I love them, right? They're, I I don't know. I do love it. Yeah. Clearly, Zoe does have a more adventuresome palette. So, all right. So she gets sick. She ends up hanging out in the bathtub, which like was a pretty um, graphic way. Like this is the safest place for me to be. I don't know what that means. Like it's coming out both ends. I don't know. She's just best to stay. She was still dressed. But she had like a towel over her lap as if maybe she was bottomless. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just making a suggestion that it seemed like w- what would be safe. Like you need to be in some place where you could, like hose it down or something. I don't know. She was definitely having problems. She definitely looked very peaked her little face looked like her lips were like green looking everything was having a hard time but then she drops this bomb paul did you ever see this coming about her father no and actually the more that i thought about it the more that i thought beth uh, you could make an argument that beth might have made that part of the the preamble about why she was concerned about getting involved with zoe for for kevin she just said oh she goes through men but yes. she's noticed since she was eight or however old she was when she lived there. So she'd know this backstory and she would know that it's, I understand that it's the kind of backstory that you, it's kind of 50, 50, like, like, yes, you should leave it for the person to say, or like she said, she's crazy about Kevin and she doesn't want him to get hurt. It's not like it's the sort of thing that would hurt him. It's just more like fair to know, I guess, if you're, if you're going to move forward with this person. I agree with you. It's definitely not Beth's place to tell Zoe's story, but at the same time, I mean, if it was my family member, like with this whole Kevin thing and and Zoe, I I would feel compelled to be like, listen, go slow. She does have, you know, some history and I wouldn't give it any background, but I feel like you're right. Like you would want to have that person not accidentally be insensitive, you know, because Mm -hmm. they didn't realize they didn't, you know, whatever they could easily have just sort of. I don't know, handled it the wrong way and and messed something up where maybe you could have kept that from happening. I was pretty surprised. This seemed actually like quite a heavy storyline to inject into Kevin and Zoe's world. It seemed like they had already kind of set her up as this sort of like love them and leave them heartbreaker. And that is the way that Beth portrayed her. Yeah. So then to have it actually be rooted in sort of more of this sexual abuse part, I felt like... 
you know, there's red herrings. And then there's like, you ran a sh- like straight off the road with the wrong information. You know, she is not a love him and leave him heartbreaker. She is a guarded, sexually abused survivor who maybe has a huge problem with long-term commitment, intimacy. That and is men. A, yeah, and men in general. So I don't know. I'm not sure if the show gets any points from me on, you know, like I know they like to play bait and switch on us a whole lot. That's like part of the fun of unwrapping a mystery. But if when you unwrap the surprise and the surprise is sexual abuse, I feel like I'm like slowly putting that back in the package like, ah, right. oh, geez, I didn't really need that to be the, you know, the freaking jack of the box that popped up in my face. Like, right. no, I don't know. So how are they going to handle this? It, they got on some uh, interesting ground right at the end of that story when Kevin says, you always seemed so strong. That was such a strange line to me. And she says, I am strong. Like, why would you perceive I'm weak because I have this abuse past? Mm. And like, what kind of read was that on the situation? I'm very interested to see how they're going to allow this to play out because it feels like Kevin is going to be walking into a minefield of strange things he's going to say like that. Perhaps it's her avoidance of the issue and the conversationally avoiding it as best as she can until she's completely vulnerable and in the bathtub, right? Right. When you're in the bathtub, things get all thrown out the window. And then she's physically avoiding it by making sure that her dad doesn't know where she is. I mean, I guess I can't really blame her for that because you're not exactly in the same zip code, but you're getting much closer than you were in California. I only know know a handful of people who have had, you know, a level of abuse like that. And I can tell you that those are people who do not have Facebook pages. They do not have Instagram. They, they are not, they do not post pictures of themselves. Like there's definitely a management of like location and really anything about their personal information is guarded a whole lot more. Mm. So I I can say that that does ring true. I just, I'm not quite sure where this is going to go. And I I really do hope that they handle it with caution because if you're going to bring up something as heavy and big as this with a a character that could become, you know, a, a very important part of the family, you know, I mean, she'd be marrying into the big three or even being in a relationship in the big three. That's like a a huge chunk of this story. You're not periphery. Yeah. You've got to handle this stuff with care. So I don't know where they're going to go with this. I don't know how this is going to affect her story exactly um, or their relationship, but I could definitely see that. Why wouldn't she have some PTSD moments coming? Why wouldn't she have some, you know, don't do this, don't do that. But they've already had sex. They've been pretty much like living together, right? I'm not sure where they're going with this, you know? Well, I saw in your notes that you weren't 100% sold on the bat as food poisoning. That Uh, is a fact. I am a little concerned that when she said she felt sick in the middle of the afternoon, while I do feel bat would absolutely make me barf, (laughs) um, I am a little nervous that she's pregnant. And um, I feel like that would really track with everything going on with Kate and how difficult that pregnancy is bound to be. And then Kevin's just going to stumble onto a pregnant, you know, girlfriend and likely marriage and whatnot. You know, I feel like that could go very quickly for him. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it could cause a lot of friction, you know, between two characters who have actually been pretty tight. Um, you know, Kate and Kevin have been 
hugely the, the strongest two of the three. It would just seem that way from the outside. I mean, if you're pairing up a couple with both having daddy issues like this, it's going to be a, from the outside, it's going to look like he got, he found this great girl and they had this kid right away and bada bing, bada boom, instant family. But internally, we know it's going to be more like a lot of topics that are going to be hard to talk about. It's going to be this kid that you didn't mean to have right away. Mm-hmm. Kate's going to see it like like you just said. Everything goes right for Kevin, you know, but yeah. but Kevin's going to know this wasn't this wasn't awesome. This was this wasn't plan A. It does also allow them to bring in a mixed race storyline for the entire story, which I think is something that's very, you know, current and mm. and on trend, you know, in terms of talking about you know, if they are talking about um, Randall being adopted into a white family, it would be very natural now to have Kevin have a mixed race child. And now what what in, you know, 2019 when that child's born, what is the world look like now for a family that looks like that versus, say, Jack and Rebecca and Randall way back when? Um, so so there's certainly a lot of parallels they can bring in by having this happen, which kind of makes me feel like they almost have to let it happen because what are the what is the likelihood that we're going to find another person that we're going to invest in that could bring the same storylines not that likely you know if anything kind of feels like kevin would float back to sophie or something you know so in a way i feel like we're getting pretty locked into zoe i think this may really go long haul and you had heard earlier that fogelman really only planned on this being like a five-year show that's what i had heard was that he had it like listed out as a five-year show so to me again if you were sort of like listing out all the issues that could come into play you hit like adoption and you hit very types of abuse and you know uh suicidal thoughts you kind of list it all out i feel like mixed race child is in there you know like that Mm -hmm. that's that's up in the top 10 yeah i mean that's my prediction that that's where we're heading and i do think that kevin's uh propensity for having this on the surface very easy life where things just fall into his lap and he's had a lot of you know push and pull on that of like the it just appears like things fall into my lap but that doesn't even make it mean i wanted it to go that way yeah but it just happened you know he has these sort of like accidental successes it feels like that's where we're heading could be dead wrong you guys but that's where i'm looking at so let's move on to jack and bow Paulo. what happens with this crew the jack and bow portion of jack's story is the road portion the part the part that correlates with the rest of the stories but the, his trip begins with we find out what Nikki thought of of Jack's arrival in Vietnam, and Nikki is not exactly all there, is he? He's right. He seems very wounded, and and definitely, I feel like that is a huge part of the angst between them now. Is that you know Jack hasn't managed to protect him, and now Nikki is hurt. If you remember all those years, he's Jack always managed to step in between sort of him and his dad. Yeah. And he wasn't the one that got hit and all that kind of stuff. And so now Nikki's essentially been beat, you know? Right. And it's like, you didn't protect him. That whole part where he like tears Jack a new one about not being Superman and that Superman's not real. Ooh, boy. I mean, I know this is misdirected anger to be pissed at Jack, but I do have to say, I understand Nikki's stance that like you are making this so much worse because now if you die over here and you only came over here because of me, you just made this a gajillion times worse for me. You know, and whatever you've had to endure, whatever your nightmares are, 
if you did that all in the name of coming to save me, like, thanks for putting that burden on my shoulders. I'm what he was saying was not as clear as that either. I don't think I can't remember exactly what his words were, but but he's he's definitely in his own head quite a bit. You know what I mean? With- mm-hmm. Yeah, he's absolutely been warped by this entire experience. You know, whatever yeah. amount of innocence and whatever amount that he thought he could handle. Like, I got this, like how he didn't choose to run away to Canada and all that. Like, I just have to face up and be a man kind of thing. I mean, I don't think this is what he expected at all. And he's way in over his head. I was not exactly expecting Major Dawson's response to Jack, it was it felt very Jack-like to be to have him go to Dawson, Dawson say tough shit. You're you know, we don't, we don't put brothers together and and like you're talking nonsense, get out of here. And then he tells this whole spider story, which felt very Jack Pearson, right? Yeah. I appreciated that Nikki was the kid who picked up the spider and let him go outside and all this stuff. But then it doesn't work. You know, he's like, yeah, I don't care about your spider. F off. I gave Dawson a couple of points in that. I mean, he he saw this man, this older man come in who's not really much younger than he is, but he's several ranks below him. But he still gave him the respect enough to, to let him say his piece before he told him to piss off. You know what I mean? I do. I think that it was handled more realistically than I expected it to be, I guess is what I'm saying, because he had this very hallmark moment kind of story that Jack yeah. tends to tell and it didn't win him over. You know, he was like, not I do immediately, not, not, not immediately. I, I believe, though, that the the end result of Dawson actually bringing Nikki to Jack and saying you have two weeks, I'm going to say that that is going to be less about what Jack said to Dawson in terms of like, let me stay here and help him, but more about Dawson realizing that there was no way he was going to turn Nikki around. And like, if he was going to give Nikki a second chance uh letting the spider get out away from under the yeah under the cup that dawson was actually nikki with the spider under the cup and he had the choice if nikki's the spider he had the choice to either stomp on him like his dad did or put the spider under the cup and bring him to jack and let watch him crawl away now see that symbolism was lost on dawson right away mm-hmm, but i loved that that because I think at first when he tells the story, it comes off like you're trying to say Nikki's a compassionate person. And to me, once once you see what Dawson does, it's more like Dawson, you're in the position of being the compassionate person. You can either stomp the spider or, you know, see this helpless thing in this huge house where he didn't mean to be. Or you can go watch him crawl away and hopefully be safe, you know? Yeah. And so I appreciated that the story took a little twist there. That was like a cool, you know, elevation I felt of maybe the Jack Pearson stories that we're kind of used to when he tells little kids. From there, Jack has to find a way back to his is actual station. And this is when he runs into Bao. <laughs> what did you make of Bao? Like, what did you think of this guy? Did you did you trust that he was going to get him back? Or did you think he was going to have to do something? Would you have trusted him? I would have never asked him. I mean... I don't um, think I would have either, to be honest with you. Bao didn't really exactly look like he wanted to be involved with this United States soldier. I mean, the, he wasn't giving a lot of hints like he was there at at Jack's service. He was like looking at his people, the other townspeople and were like, is anybody seeing this happen? You know, I try to think about if I was in his shoes, you know, would you just pretend like you couldn't understand him and just walk your moped further away from him and just ignore him? Or is this a type of situation where we know who Jack is? We know he's not going to, you know, pistol whip bow and take his moped. But bow, bow doesn't know that. 
Right. And so, you know, how how would you handle that? I feel like I would want to give the soldier a ride. But then another part of me feels like I also think this soldier might just hit me with the butt of his gun in the back of the head and take my moped anyway. So, you know, what's really my safest route? You're automatically in a bad situation because yeah, you're like, don't put the spotlight on me. <laughs> given that we see in a few minutes how Bao goes and turns in those empty cans to the mm-hmm. people that probably make little mines. Yeah. Then we know that there are eyes on him, you know, probably like, what were you doing with that soldier kind of eyes? You of know? course, of course. So things might get bad for Bao right away based on just, just giving Jack this simple ride. So all in all, I felt like that journey, you know, was interesting that, that you got a chance to see the other side, you know, people's hands are tied on both sides of this conflict, you know, both the U.S. soldiers and the Vietnam citizens and soldiers, you know, everybody sort of feels like they're they're being pushed and pulled into places that they don't want to be. You know, ultimately, people are trying to make the best, safest choices, but all of it is bad, you know? Right. I mean, having to give cans in order to have some money or in order to keep your family safe or whatever is like a terrible choice. But, you know, you also have to see the U.S. soldiers as both being, you know, they're both here for good and doing bad things. You know, it's like right. all tangled up. So I, I thought they did a decent job of showing without actually delving into being embedded in Bao's family. I thought they did a pretty good job of weaving a little bit of his conflict and his, you know, straddling that line into the storyline without really, I mean, God, if they had pulled a full Deja on us and made us go for a full episode with like Bao and his gang, right? I would have been like, what the frick are we doing here? I don't care about this family. He's like, this is my stepdaughter. She has learning disabilities. No, no. (laughs) We didn't want to know that. I don't want to know everything about Bao's life, but I think they managed to give us just enough of a snapshot to be like, okay, I get it. I understand. I I get that everybody is reluctant to participate in this, but is participating in a way that is actually really regretful, you know, in a lot of the things they're doing. All around. Yeah. All around. Seen at the very end of Jack's journey when he is making his own little camp there. Yes. I would have to talk to an actual Vietnam vet to to see, like... Was Jack like AWOL right then or did, what was what was his status right then where he's making his own little camp and looking out for himself because he's in between bases of operation? I mean, is that just like a, a thing that could happen or is that just, you know, just overlook it because the story doesn't work <laughs> without it? I think that a lot of this part about where his commanding officer, you know, allowed him to take the chopper and go to the other one. You know, Dawson didn't call anybody on the fact that a soldier who shouldn't be there is now inside his camp. You know, I think that a lot of that we're either supposed to think that's really how it happened. And there really was so much of the um, civilian population that got drug into the war that there probably was a lot less um, of that controlled rigorous rules, you know, because this was such a, I want to say like sloppy conflict conflict they were dealing with, Hmm. you know, that, that perhaps, there there was a little bit less tighter range just because they couldn't control, you know, what was going on. I want to think that the reason why they're making this whole situation with Nikki a spotlight, the fact that he, you know, did this whole, you know, behavior on becoming of a soldier kind of business, that that, that might be have been actually common enough to be willing to tell that as a storyline. 
you know, to okay. represent that population to say this was actually a war made up of so many just ordinary people who were not soldiers that that could like, you know, speak to this idea of like, how in the hell are you wandering between two groups? And, you know, how are you not being called up on some sort of charges for being AWOL? And that's I'm going with some amount of leniency for the fact that I mean, he, he was given his blessing to go get see his brother. So okay. then he really shouldn't get in trouble. But you're dead right. Like, what the frig is he doing? Why is yeah. it Dawson calling his commanding officer? Like, I have your guy here and WTF on letting him wander. <laughs> this is right. not a sleepover party. Get back to your area. You know, what are you doing? Yes, exactly. That's what I thought when I saw it. Jack is, whenever he's run into that that woman at, at you know, in his day job, mm-hmm. it's always been around other guys or there's always been other villagers nearby. It's always been nothing where they could exchange a look like they exchanged uh mm-hmm. it, over the campfire before she she ran off so we needed that moment though that's I, I believe, set yes. up that way yes i believe so and and you had to have jack be in a very limbo position you know symbolically and literally he is stuck between two camps and and very much like needing to make decisions like what do you what are you doing right now you're you're following no none of the right rules you're putting yourself out here in major danger you just made this like way worse for yourself and it looks like Nikki too what good is going to come of it it'll be interesting to see now we know that ultimately that Nikki does not survive the war so what is your prediction for this two week you know trial period that Jack gets with him how will this go down this must be where the gigantic burden of guilt comes from is because you could argue that Nikki will get killed mm-hmm. by being with Jack for this two week furlough thing and if he had just been where he was, who's to say that he wouldn't have survived? I think that that's extremely reasonable uh, expectations, that that is what would happen with the storyline. I also think that it would be fair, not unlike the season one, um, you know, idea that we know Jack is dead for like the whole time, you know, we know that Nikki is dead. But yet, During these two weeks, I think there's going to be massive setup for us as the audience to be hopeful and see good changes happening to Nikki. Like, like perhaps just somehow (laughs) he's going to escape this tragic ending, you know, like somehow the crockpot not is not going to come from the Viet Cong and get him, you know, like somehow this time Pearson's going to make it. There are, aren't there people out there in the fandom who want to look at the death of Nikki as in sort of an Obi-Wan Kenobi sort of way where they're like, well, maybe it's figurative. Maybe he's just dead to Jack for whatever reason, but he's actually fully alive um, and living in, in Vietnam now. I think that it would be very logical that he could be MIA in some way instead of like truly dead. I, I think that that's fair. Yeah. Um. You know, we've we have definitely had you know this this lead up before of someone being dead. So there would be some kind of excitement about him actually being around somewhere. You know, I could see if the if Nikki turns out to kill the woman, this you know Vietnamese woman, that mm. that maybe some part of. Nikki losing it. He goes running off in the jungle or something. I mean, who the hell knows? You know, it's this show is dramatic, but being when I said the phrase dead to Jack, that's out of his character. Exactly. It feels like it is out of his character. But if he needed to maintain a lie 
that Nikki was dead in order for Nikki to be safely absconded off into the wind, he would do that. That's very true. Well, so an interesting little twist that, that, you know, again, maybe we're just being silly and that it's like, maybe Jack doesn't die in the fire, maybe something else, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, like if we were just trying to undo tragic endings that they've already said happen, but, I, you know, I, I'm interested to see how they take it. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't even thought too deeply about the idea of him being alive because I, you know, the show is mostly taking it face value at this point, right? Right. We try not to have it be a Days of Our Lives type episode where, you know, like Nikki's evil twin actually took over or something, you know? But these aren't very wild interpretations, you know? The- I don't think so. And I, and I think that, you know, we are at the point where Jack and Nikki are in extremely you know, extreme duress, you know, that they, that there could be a plan that is even more outlandish, you know, than what we all think might be normal. So let's move on to Jack and where he, he was post-war with Rebecca. And we get this road trip that we had actually really been hoping for way back when they were in the kitchen, washing the dishes. We were like, do you think we're going to actually get to see a road trip? How exciting would that be? Well, they learn a few things about each other on this on this road tip i mean rebecca has a lot of questions and jack has it's funny he gives very few actual like in-depth answers he gives a lot of pat responses but then every every so often he gives like a, a good jack response right to the to the the question she keeps peppering him with <laughs> it's funny that you say that because he i think that's like total man woman thing because i'm like thinking like why he invited me on this road trip? He's not going to be talking to me. You're over there like, she's peppering him with questions. Right. Like it's like I could have said badgering. I know, right? Nagging his ass all the way to, <laughs> to freaking LA. Um, you know, I think that Jack... <sighs> Jack is an interesting guy at this stage of his, of his sort of healing, if you will, in that he, he really would be a tough nut to crack. You know, I think that he he is so fresh off of being away from his father. He just got his mom out of this abusive situation. He's had this awful situation with his brother and the war and everything. You're getting him like raw and closed up as hell. And you're like, hey, let's eat like red vines and play Mad Libs on a, on a wacky adventure right. together. And he's I like, spy. Exactly. With my little eye. <laughs> you know, it's like, he's like, my little eye sees Viet Cong. Like, right. it's like, this isn't funny. So I, I do think that this was a, a, a really slow build. I feel like we we did get a little momentum where they, they seem to talk a really, 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 really dug the whole slow dance conversation about not enough people slow dance. I'm, you know, everybody knows who listens to us at all. I'm a huge fan of slow dancing. And um, yeah, that like won me over hard. Well, he needed that. That was the Jack response that saved the that leg of the trip, right? Because mm-hmm. he hadn't given up much. And so you start to get the idea if you're Rebecca, he's not He's kind of closed off. He's not very demonstrative with his with his feelings. And then he does gives this story about needing to learn to slow dance with for his mom because his dad wouldn't dance with her and she wanted to dance and all this other stuff. And so it gave a huge insight into who this guy is, where his mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nice. Those answers weren't quite <laughs> doing it before. I think it's really I think that that 
pattern is really interesting to me. I, I wonder where it kind of breaks down. Like, so if you have a dad who doesn't slow dance with your mom and you're the son who steps in, right? And you're yeah. a slow dancing son. And then you kind of realize that with your own wife or girlfriend. And so you slow dance. I think he produced two sons who slow dance with their partners. I think Kevin and Randall are both guys. I bet both they both guys. dance, dance. I think they dance, dance. I wonder where it breaks down. Like, do we go, do we loop back round? And like, do they, do, do Annie and Tess marry guys who don't dance? Like, you know, like what, where does that cycle get back? Because so many of us do know those couples. I wonder how you reconcile that. It's a weird one. I think, you know, for me, Paul... The the headline for this is first time they have sex. Yeah, that was a cute scene at the beginning. I know you're going to say there's other words for it, but it, the cuteness of the idea that they get the bed, the, the the room with the two beds, and they go in, and it's sort of awkward. Like uh, I'll get changed over here, and and it's like hadn't ever been like fully fleshed out in their minds how that first and second and third night were going to work out. I think it road. was extremely telling that Rebecca packed what she packed, you know, and I loved that Jack was like, I think my grandpa has those pajamas. Like I liked all the, that little banter. I think it said a lot about Rebecca that she didn't slip on a sexy negligee or something like she isn't that girl and wasn't that girl. And that said a lot to Jack. I mean, if she had like whips and chains in that bag, she's a different girl than what Jack thinks she is, you know? coming out with, you know, her hair in a pony and whatever. I mean, she's she's a, a you know, a regular, you know, American girl kind of thing. And I liked how subtle they were with stuff like they didn't show him taking a shirt off, but they showed her looking in the mirror at his little bare back. Like, it's like, ooh. <laughs> like, you know, I love that kind of subtle stuff. I'm all into it. Into it. Okay, so how do you feel like they handled the whole concept of sex? Because they had sex several times on this road trip. They made sure to show us. But they played it in much more of like a montage. Like you gotta have a montage. Yeah. See, we pre-gamed this discussion a little bit. So I know what you feel. But <laughs> but for me, the montage worked. It did what it was supposed to do. It was just it was like they ramped up their intimacy and their fondness for each other along with their physical relationship over the period of days where they went from like booking the hotels with the two rooms as like a gesture. And then finally, they just were just like, oh, finally, let's just get the one bed and who's fooling anyone anymore kind of thing. <laughs> right. and so they, they just needed a way to to get there and, and show a ramp up of of their relationship. And so here's here was the topic that we pre-gamed. It had less to do with this exact show or storyline and more about the concept that do you think that on TV that they tend to spend a lot more time on sex that looks very either like aggressive or or overly it's like an element even, of violence to it even yes like aggression or even like like Paul was bringing up Game of Thrones the the, the scene I was thinking of was in the first season when Lord Baelish is kind of working in a a new whore at the whorehouse brothel whatever the right term is she's the she's the redhead that came down from Winterfell and she's kind of training with this other woman and it's this um, woman on, on woman scene and he's kind of coaching them through how she he feels like they're just kind of they're not making a, a good enough show of it so he's kind of talking them through it and it's it's a really gratuitous scene I thought 
You know Maybe what I mean? That's a good word. Maybe gratuitous is the exact part that I'm talking about. Whenever there's these parts that I want to say are like without emotion, without that really sense of intimacy or whatever, they tend to be very gratuitous. The scenes are very long and it tends to be like a lot more detailed on a lot of this stuff. Whereas I, I use the same Game of Thrones type of example, but I said once Danny and Drogo like actually were into each other, were actually comfortable with each other. You could say the phrase make love or something. Those scenes were short. Those scenes were like, look, they're kind of caressing each other's hair and moving on. But if it's something that's like really kind of insane or kind of uh, even like there's pain and stuff involved or whatever, it seems like now I know it could emotionally for me just feel like, boy, the scene is dragging out, you know. But like with Jack and Rebecca, it was intimate. It was love. And like they don't bother to show you, you know, like if you were like a 15 year old kid watching this, you got the idea that that making love or or being with someone you love is like in these quick snippets and like clips in a way that like you have to try to piece it together. Whereas like if you wanted to see how someone gets raped, you could turn on any TV show and see it from start to finish. Mm. And so I find that very obnoxious to me that it's like it's not that I necessarily wanted to see it with these two actors or in this show or whatever, but it brought up this idea that having a couple that was actually committed to each other, actually loved each other. That wasn't exciting enough to bother to spend enough time on it. We've got to clip it out to 10 different nights and blah, 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 as opposed to you know, if he threw her against the wall and raped her, I guarantee you that would have been a long scene, you know, with a lot of details. It's a valid point. I don't really have a counterpoint to it because I can't draw any or very many examples of long lovemaking scenes when you, I mean, the it's not a, it's not a um, all or nothing sort of thing. You're just saying that it's a most and not very many kind of situation. Yeah. I think that it, that when it comes down to, like I said, a couple who actually loves each other and it would have actually been, I don't want to say, I, I really, you guys, I'm not the kind of girl who's going to be like, I want to see someone making love. It's all like, I know it's gross and it's like not words I say, but I just found it fascinating that it's like when you come to a couple who you like believe in and like, I'll give another example. We've Randall and Beth have had no sex scenes that I can think of none. And yet we've seen Kevin in bed with two girls. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how come you don't see the committed loving couple having any kind of romantic sexual times, but you see sort of this like hoary kind of aggressive kind of bullshit throwaway stuff on the regular. Like that's like part of the show for a lot of shows but but you just ignore those more, you know. So you get what I'm saying. Yeah, what kind it's of? It's just weird because I would. I, I don't want to say I want to see Beth and Randall together, but I think they would be as exciting to see. Since we're not in the know in terms of what NBC's exact standards and practices are, maybe it's possible that those scenes depicting more aggressive sex somehow are more okay. I think they are. And that's my big question mark. That's my eyebrow raise. What does that say about all of us? Like, what does it say that we could see an aggressive scene? You know, Zoe can talk about being sexually abused by her father. And that is less of a, of a sensitive subject than we have to like throw the camera to the side as soon as Jack and Rebecca intimately kiss each other hard. That's like, look away, you yeah. know, but we can have a five minute conversation about your father sexually abusing you. 
Yeah, it's like, you're right. whoa, what, are, what kind of weird ideas do we have about sex and what's appropriate to see and what do we shield ourselves from? Even in movies, for the most part, if it's going to be a a husband and wife having making love or whatever, it's usually the sort of thing where like the, the music kind of... <laughs> <laughs> kind of trails off and then the camera yeah, and you just, just leave pans away. the scene. You leave and the scene. Burt Reynolds like just leans in yeah, and like he's yeah. out of camera and that's like it. Mm-hmm. But fade to black. If you're gonna have some, you know, some hot, crazy, insane sex, you're gonna see it from start to cigarettes. You know, like you're gonna see the whole thing. I don't know. I find it really it's an interesting commentary to me on... Is that the sex version of soup to nuts? Yeah, soup to nuts. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. It's kiss to cigarettes. Yeah, for sure. Or from like first body look to cigarettes. But yeah, I don't know. It's something that I, I mean, as viewers, I want you guys to weigh in on. Again, I'm not necessarily saying that that's what NBC should have done today or in this particular episode. But because this is a couple who we are so invested in, and their physical interactions with each other have always had a lot of chemistry. I really think that they kind of, I don't know, piked out on really showing if you were, again, a younger viewer. I'm not saying I want to sit there with my 15-year-old, but I would rather them get the idea of what a Jack Pearson and Rebecca Pearson, how that type of love looks like in bed than say... Little finger, you know, <laughs> doing something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you if you're gonna see a sex king, can we at least represent one where two people actually love each other and there's actually something between them? You know, wouldn't that be nice once in a while? Yeah, maybe it's just too boring for everybody. Yeah. Wah, wah. Probably, probably. But okay, so they end up with having this nightmare that Jack has. Not surprised. I know several soldiers who have PTSD. I was not surprised, and I was actually relieved that it didn't get worse. That he didn't like freak out on her or something. You know. Me too. I had just watched um, a miniseries called The Bodyguard. Oh yeah, yeah. You finished? I did, and. Um, there's a, a scene in there with the bodyguard when uh, he, the bodyguard and his uh, protectee get entangled in uh, ro- shocking romantically. Yes. And um, she wakes him up and he, he's just bigger than her. You know, and he just lifts her up and slams her down with his hands around her throat and just starts choking her. And uh, it, it takes a few seconds for him to, to quit. And um, I'm glad we didn't go through that <laughs> with with Rebecca and Jack. It would have been too much for this show. I agree. Not, not it, really it, it definitely would have been. I mean, I, I think the fact that he obviously clams up and, you know, like can't talk about it. I think it's I think it's fair. I think that it was pretty realistic. OK, so when they go to this party scene, first of all, what a hot freaking number Rebecca's wearing. I don't love every part of it. but That backless business. Woo. Hello. <laughs> Nice. She brings those pajamas, but that outfit, wow. Wow, girl, you are rocking both sides. You are rocking it all, man. So I was like, wow, on that. All right. But here's what I say that's like, "Mm." all right. He offers to get drinks. The friend says, what's the deal with this guy? Bullshit that she ain't talking that they just had sex for the first time on the road. Bullshit. Bullshit. They are girlfriends. There ain't no way that she's only going to be like, he's back from Vietnam and I'm concerned about his war stories. There is other shit you would say too. And I guarantee you having sex with him for the first time, 
what a couple of hours within all this show give me a break come on be real this shot reminded me a lot of like boogie nights uh, or american hustle very Uh, very do you remember those movies totally do boogie nights it out man totally kind of boogie nights light i mean there was no uh roller girl or anything like that but you get the same kind of aesthetic it also seemed very much like not rebecca and Jack's scene regardless no that it all seemed too fast too crazy of a Def- life i mean jack was wearing his his usual jack kind of suit yeah you know yeah uh, not very california <laughs> definitely not um so you know reacting to the popped cork all that kind of stuff i understood that you know as as continuing to to display to us he has got a lot of deep wounds and it's going to continue to come up like a whole bunch all right, so the next day they have these two separate missions. I, I felt kind of um, like, did he have to continue to keep it a secret at that point that he was going to go visit a buddy's family? Like, I, I don't know that I would say the whole thing about the dead soldier part, but... but He felt responsible. He, have, he felt completely responsible no, for that. No, 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 I don't mean that. I meant to Rebecca. Like, did he have to be so vague? Like, uh, oh, I'm just like going to go see somebody... Like, could he have said more or did he need to be so vague? Like, is this just part of him we have to continue to deal with? It's consistent. Yeah. I mean, everything about Vietnam is closed off from her. And he, I mean, he explains he doesn't want any of that steaming pile of shit part of his life to touch the new part of the, of his life that she's involved with. And that includes her knowing anything about it. That's his argument. Yeah, absolutely. So he does have this journey to go talk to Squirrel's parents. And then we have, of course, Rebecca going to the record label. With the parents, I kind of imagine a lot of commanding officers or whatever the right terminology is when you're the sergeant, platoon leaders. I don't know that they would have made this trip. It's it's like, it's like just part of Jack's personality. I mean, he, he, he looked at all those soldiers as, as people he was responsible for. And that particular guy died so meaninglessly. Absolutely. It was fair to want to explain and, you know, have some peace of mind. I, I absolutely feel like actually I would be that person 100%, no matter what. Maybe because I was a teacher and I was in charge of so many little kids. If something happened, I felt very obligated to explain everything to the parent and whatever. Not that anyone died on my watch, but you know what I mean? Like I felt very compelled to make sure that I, um, you know, that the person was very informed about whatever went on. I really appreciated and felt like a great sense of like relief when Squirrel's parents were so forgiving and so kind to Jack because they could have said a lot of nasty things. It's such, such a refreshing response, you know? When dad got up and put his arm around Jack, I couldn't, I couldn't watch that too close because that was, that was a very emotional scene to try to imagine yourself as either Jack or the dad having lost your son and getting this explanation and how you'd, how you'd uh, feel about it. Yeah, that was, that was a pretty heavy scene. Like you mentioned, the dad could have gone and the mom could have gone either way or lots of ways. Uh, There's all a whole variety of ways. And they went with war as hell. Nothing over there was anyone's fault. Least of all you. It sounds like you tried your best to take care of everybody. And the war just got the better of everybody. So we can't blame you for that. Man, that was the, the luckiest way that Jack could have come out of that meeting, you know? Yeah. And I think what I hear you saying like now and like reflecting on, you know, what they're showing us, I think the idea of like forgiveness and and any characters forgiving another character in any show, I think, is another really underrepresented emotion. You know, we see a lot of big emotions, but forgiveness is one that I think is rarely 
represented on the screen in front of us. And well, you it's know, used as a major plot point. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's, but what a great, like how it, I feel like it does impact us as an audience because, because it is a, a, what you might consider a small emotion versus like rage or, you know, these big, huge moments. It's kind of a smaller feeling, you know, but it's so deep, you know, it's mm-hmm. so intense to actually witness someone forgiving someone else. And um, how amazing. That then ties into when he and Rebecca meet back up. So we got to cover Rebecca's story then. Rebecca's story was a bit of a surprise for me, I have to tell you. I mean, again, we know that she didn't go on tour. We know she didn't have a big career. And yet here I am like a little donkey thinking she's going to, uh, you know, somehow make it in the big times here when she goes to the record label, even though I know she doesn't, you know? I think it's that that they picked an actress who was a national recording artist. International. Who, who did tour. Yeah. I mean, we saw her, I don't know if you remember, but we were there at opening day when they opened up Reliant Stadium downtown for the first official Texans game. And she sang uh, the national anthem. That's funny. Yes. It is a little like, are you like pulling your punches to be on the show or, or what? Or all these people just having to be like, yeah, that voice isn't everywhere good. It's just Pittsburgh good. I, it was a little bit interesting because you're a thousand percent right. Do you ever see a person who is an established recording artist star get like rejected i mean is that that i haven't you know what i i apologize because i haven't seen the newest the star is born lady gaga is in that i don't know if she gets rejected on constantly throughout and they're told you she has a terrible singing voice or something i don't know but it just it does seem like a little like huh you know like that's probably the mental disconnect we get when that she meets with so much rejection when we know that in real life it doesn't she had plenty of success during that part of her career yeah it would be like if they constantly said that jack was ugly (laughs) you'd be like huh a lot of people think he's really cute he's nice but his looks of course oh yes pittsburgh attractive (laughs) but not out here it's it yeah i agree with you just like huh kind of a steel mill handsomeness (laughs) right um i liked their moment in the car when he calls her back i thought that that was cute and uh per usual i cringed when she said acapella because i don't really love that and um also i didn't recognize the song at all oh they wrote it for the show i know i figured that out after the fact and so there was some part of me who was like 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 straining my ears to identify the song and when i couldn't get like the melody or the words to like be familiar i was like this song is bizarre like i was like rejection rejection i don't like any of this um because it wasn't familiar at all now i'm sure this probably has something to do with rights and paying money and all that good stuff but i liked the concept of the song being called invisible ink and you know there was a lot there to the song for both of them i mean there was the forgiveness that jack had just received and his desire to move on from the shittiest part of his life to to the best part of his life, meaning that his history was effectively gone if he wanted it to be. For Rebecca, I guess I would look at it like she's just a young woman starting out. And so when you're when you cross that, you know, about 20 year old barrier, everything you've done up to that point kind of quits counting as much as it did until you 
got there. And I think that's what that means for her. Yeah, I like that. I even like, you know, I wonder if we could pull back in the title with the idea of sometimes and the idea that like she's good in Pittsburgh, but like not LA good. So it's sort of like that. Are you a good man? It's sort of like, are you a good singer? It's like sometimes like in <laughs> Pittsburgh, you know, I am, you know, like I think that's kind of a it's an intriguing prospect. That's like sometimes you're considered a great whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. Intrigue. Okay, so what happens with Jack and Rebecca now? They have this awesome let's go home moment that seems very sweet and very like they're you you want to feel like their their life is starting together. What do you think is going to happen? Where do we go with this story? We know that next week is a Thanksgiving story. Uh, so very likely we head right into, you know, back to all of the characters. There's got to be something more compelling to keep us in this part of their life. You what know? will it be? What will it be? Because the PTSD stuff, while realistic for TV story, I mean, this is going to sound stupid and insensitive, but you just can't milk that every week. It's it's not going to have the resonance and the effect that you want for the, you to know what that character is going through if it's like this every week thing. Yeah. It's just going to be that character. Well, and know? I agree very much that that if we we obviously need to hang around in Nikki's storyline for, you know, and I think that, that that's, I, to me, I feel like that's going to stretch all the way to the end of the season. Yeah. I was thinking the Vietnam stuff was going to be too expensive to run for very long, but now I think, no, they can't just cap that off. Mm-mm. I think this is going to stretch. This is going to stretch. Now, I don't know what parallel this is going to bring, but I do think it's going to stretch big time. Now, is this leading to a baby named Nikki? I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> and, you know, because if he dies in one storyline and is born in another, it will not surprise me. Um, but then but then I'm thinking about where Jack and Rebecca are and this idea of this like firsts for them and, and where we've gotten to. We have seen their wedding. We have seen um, or at least they're basically their wedding receptionish stuff in the bar and everything. Um so there is going to be, I mean, there's some degree of like proposal. I can't believe they wouldn't show a Jack Pearson proposal. There's got to be some more to his PTSD and to him opening up to her in some way, right? Something, there's got to be some more growth there. And they've got to show us what is the deal with this Vietnamese woman. Of course, of course, And of if course. that at all parallels anything that we see with Rebecca. Yeah, I like that very much. You know. Well, I'm really looking forward to next week. Um, we apologize, you guys, for this getting out a little bit later than normal because we had family stuff. My brother got married, and so we have been up to our eyeballs and tool and flower petals, but we are back in action, and we'll be right on top of this Thanksgiving one for you guys. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Sure. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software, our website, dailyreview.com that's d-a-l-e-y review.com facebook or twitter or wherever you find us please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show thanks for listening pot people thanks for listening to my mom and dad you don't have to go home but you can't stay here just go home folks